Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. But on the third day He rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, the way we're going to use this is we're not so much going to be looking at the text of the Apostles' Creed, but we will be looking at the truths that are pointed out within the Apostles' Creed. In fact, the way I've heard it said before is this is the New Testament in 100 words. If you want to know the teachings of the New Testament, the essentials of what we believe, but even more than just looking at the truths here We need to remember that we're not talking about Christian principles. We are getting to know a person. Each one of these paragraphs is about who God is, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, let me teach you a bit of sign language, and I always say this whenever I use sign language, I always go back to my favorite bit of sign language, this one, not my problem is what this means. How I wish I had known this when I had teenagers, just not my problem, right? But let me teach you the sign language, and I appreciate our sign language ministry. Let me teach you the sign language for Trinity, for God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Hold up your left hand, kind of make it a little shield in front of you. Come on, do this with me. Then with your right hand, make the number three, and as three disappears behind that shield, bring it out as one. This is sign language for the Trinity, and this simple sign means so much. Now, now. If you don't understand the Trinity, that's okay. Uh, Tertullian, a long time ago, he said, if you try to understand the Trinity, you will lose your mind. But if you don't accept the Trinity, you will lose your soul. More recently, Evelyn Underhill said, if God were small enough to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshipped. So there's much about God especially the idea of Trinity that we just don't fully comprehend, but we accept by faith. And that's the outline of the Apostles' Creed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, let's start with just those opening lines. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now, just look at that line, and I wonder where your eye naturally falls. Uh, Maybe your eye falls to Almighty, and it's good to remember that, that God is not mighty, He is Almighty. He is not just strong, but He is stronger than any person, force, or institution in the entire universe. For those of us who are studying Exodus on Wednesday nights, God is more powerful than the most powerful nation on the planet. That's what Exodus teaches us. Maybe your eye falls to Creator. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity of seeing Saturn through a high-powered telescope in Fort Davis, the Fort Davis Mountains, to look up at Saturn. Here's what I didn't know then. I've done a little reading on Saturn since then. Those rings around Saturn are slowly disappearing. Because of the gravity of Saturn, matter is being pulled into the gravity well of Saturn. Every second, 
10 million tons of matter is falling from the rings into Saturn. 10 million tons every second. Now, if you're afraid about looking up in the night sky and not seeing the rings, it will take 100 million years before those rings are gone. That's how much is there and how much is happening. It's not only creation can we, we not understand, we can't even begin to understand the magnitude of creation. But for me, as I look at this opening line, the word I'm drawn to is the word Father. We're going to spend this morning just on that one word. And trust me when I say there is more here than what we can possibly understand. So Matthew chapter 6 is where I'm going to be reading from this morning. Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus' message on the mount. I think if there's one part of the Bible that we ought to know backwards and forwards, front and back, it's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. In fact, we'll be studying that after the turn of the year. In Matthew chapter 6, we are met with what's called the Lord's Prayer, which is actually a misnomer. I think Catholics have it more right, more right, right, when they call it the Our Father. This is not so much the Lord's Prayer, this is our prayer. And the first thing Jesus teaches us is when we address God to call Him Father. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk just for a minute about why Jesus chose to call God Father, then I want us to look at why Jesus encouraged and commanded us to call God Father, and then finally I want to ask the so what question. So, so, what, so what? What does all this mean? How does this make a difference in my life right here today? So let's start. Why did Jesus call God Father? In His time, the father of the family, and there's a couple of characteristics here I think are pretty important to note, was the final authority over the family. The dad always had the final say. And so as Jesus calls God Father, he's calling him the authority. And I know we don't like the word authority too much, but listen, we don't like authority when things are going good. But when things go sideways... We need somebody who we know is looking out for us, who will tell us what to do, who will give us guidance. We need and we must live under God's authority. Several years ago, this was um, it's actually 13 years ago, there was a church that was recruiting me pretty heavily. And when I first heard about it, from a career standpoint, it made sense. It would be a big step up. And I was excited, but my wife was not. And then over time, we kind of reversed roles. I cooled toward the idea, and she started getting excited. And we kept going back and forth. We couldn't get on the same page. And so finally, my wife did this. She played this card. She said, Darren, you're the one responsible for the leadership of our family. Well, crud. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you say is what we're going to do. And I felt the weight of that decision and thinking, I don't want that, right? Um, by the way, the way we do family, and I think a real healthy way, men, wives, pay attention to your spouse when you know they're smarter than you in an area. I think that's why God puts two people together, and for my wife, that's like 90% of things. She's smarter than I am, right? She also tends to be more in touch with the Lord intuitively than I am. Boy, that really discouraged you about your pastor. I don't know. I don't, I, I, I try to follow Jesus. She follows Jesus, you know. 
What we decided was, since we couldn't get on the same page, that was pretty much the sign that, that God had called us to stay here, and I'm so glad about that. But it's one of those issues that when the weight of authority falls on you and you don't want to mess it up, you always look to a higher authority. That's God. That's the Father. He has the ultimate say-so, or He should, of our lives. But more than just being the authority, oh, and by the way, look at the prayer that follows. First half of the prayer is all about authority. Your name, may it be respected. Your kingdom, he's a king. May your kingdom come, your will. I mean, these are authority words. But the father, more than authority, was also an intimate. A good father is intimately aware of the needs of his children. In fact, look to the second half of the prayer it's all about intimate needs, daily bread, forgiveness, debts, temptation, deliver us from evil. These are intimacy words. Okay. So that's why Jesus called God Father. And you know what? There, there's a lot of reasons not to call God Father. Maybe you had a terrible father growing up, okay? And those words just stick in your throat. Or you think the language is sexist. I get all that. There's really no other reason to call God Father other than it's how Jesus referred to Him and that He encourages us to also call God Father. Here's why. Jesus' relationship with God was unique, but He did not want that relationship to be exclusive. He don't want to say, okay, I have this special relationship with God, and you don't. Jesus' relationship with God being his father was unique, but he didn't want it to be exclusive. He says to his followers, I want you to call God Father as well. In other words, who Jesus was by nature, God's grace, or excuse me, who Jesus was by nature, the Son of God, we are by grace, the children of God, sons and daughters. That's worth repeating. I want you to, to really get this who Jesus was by nature, God's Son, we get to be by God's grace. We get to be sons and daughters of God. When my daughter was born, February 16th, 1997, the most mystical day of my entire life. There were some complications during delivery and so the doctor did something I didn't even know was possible, and, and I don't mean to be too graphic here, but Kira wasn't clearing the birth canal, and so the doctor took what looked like a plunger and went in and attached it to her head and yanked her out, okay? I mean, it was really cool to watch, okay? <laughs> Says who? Says me. So beyond the graphics of that, I mean, he said, here she comes as he pulled her out as soon as her head came out, I don't, I don't know how to say this, I felt myself become a father. I, I literally felt this shift in identity as visually and emotionally, I became a father. Get this. There was a time that I wasn't a father, and then I became a father. And this mystical experience here that I still can't describe or wrap my mind around, but God has always been father. There has never been a time in all of eternity that he has not related to Jesus and he has not wanted to relate to you as Father. 
little funny side note, when Kira came out, because of the plunger they used, her ears were perfect, her whole head was perfect. I was told to prepare myself that babies look really ugly when they emerge. She was beautiful, except for a cone head that was at the top of her head. <laughs> now, now, fast forward three years, my son was born. I thought, well, he'll look just like Kira did. He'll look beautiful coming out. <laughs> wow, put him back. He's not done yet. It was rough, right? They've grown up to be mostly beautiful kids, right? God has always been Father. So, we have this idea. Jesus called God Father. We know why, the authority and the intimacy. Now He's invited us to call God Father. And let's talk about what that means for a minute. And I'm indebted to a theologian who's way above my pay grade. But he says, here's a good father. And he says it like this. A good father loves us in our weakness. He provides for our needs. He teaches us in our ignorance. And he corrects us when we go astray. I don't know if there's an exhaustive list for what a good father looks like, but that's pretty good. He loves us in our weakness. He provides for our needs. He teaches us in our ignorance. And He corrects us when we go astray. Let's just talk about each one of those for just a minute. And by the way, I feel prompted just to say, if you have a really good father, if he's still living or if he's passed away, just take a moment right now in the quietness of your heart and thank God. If you had a really terrible father, Thank God for them anyway, and maybe that has revealed that we, we all have this need for a truly loving Father, and if you haven't forgiven, practice forgiveness today. So let's talk about each one of these in terms of the Heavenly Father. Father loves us in our weakness. We all like to be strong. We all like to pretend that we have it together. We're all faking it. We all are weak when it comes to facing the rigors and the uncertainties and the challenges of life. We need somebody who, even though they know the weakest part of who we are, they love us anyway. Hopefully, you found that in your family, but if not, I'm telling you today, you have certainly found that in God. He loves you in your weakness. Native American tribes all had a ritual when a boy would become a man, typically at 13 years old. A young would-be warrior would be taken out in the woods in the middle of the night and left to survive for himself in the dark for one night. Up to this time, he'd been surrounded by the tribe. There had always been people there, but now he's alone for one solid night, completely dark, completely lost. He didn't know if anybody was coming back for him. After what seemed like forever, light would begin, begin to dawn, and the first thing that young warrior would see is not 20 feet away, his dad standing there with bow and arrow in hand, loving his son, protecting him at a moment that he feels most vulnerable. Whether or not you feel God doesn't mean that he's not there. He is. He watches over you, even when you don't know it, even when you can't feel it, even when you think he's not, he still is. A good father, God our father, loves us in our weakness. A good father also provides for our needs. Uh, so last week I gave some very pointed words about our financial situation as a church. Afterwards I had a conversation with a young couple 
I said, you know, it's funny you should mention that today. We're just considering, praying through what it means to start tithing, but does 10% really mean 10%? How many of you have had those conversations around your house before? And I said, I, I said, I think it does. I said, instead of me just laying down the legalism of this, I said, let me just share my own account. Uh, my first ministry position in Montgomery, Alabama, just out of seminary, my wife and I determined what we thought we needed to live on. So we said, here's the number, X. Turns out the job offer was X minus 2,000. <laughs> and so I, I told my wife, I said, I think we're supposed to go here. The, the experience of interning at a large downtown church, you know, I, I think it's going to be important to us. Get that? Large downtown church in downtown Montgomery, Alabama. I said, I don't know how we're going to make it. And, and we started looking at areas we could cut. And I'm the one who said, well, maybe we ought to cut the tithe. And my wife said, no. We're going to be faithful to God first. And then we'll see to it that he just sorts out the rest. He'll sort out the rest. And you know what? I don't know how, folks, it doesn't make sense on paper, but over three years, we never went without. So that, that's a good reminder to me. God will always provide for our needs when we're faithful to him. And many times when we're not faithful to him, he will still provide for our needs because that's what a father does loves us in our weakness, provides for our needs, teaches us in our ignorance. Now, I know what we pray most of the time. We get into a place, we get over our head, and we go, God, I don't understand. Help me understand. Could I encourage you to stop praying that? If God wants you to know, he'll tell you. Most of the time, what we don't need is more understanding. What we need is more trust. And God, I don't get what's happening here. I don't see it. And you know what? Here's what I'd ask you to consider this morning that maybe God is not telling you because you're not ready to understand. I've used this account many times before. It bears repeating because not only does it illustrate this point that God teaches us in our ignorance, but those of you who have ears to hear, I really want you to hear this. Corey ten Boone, a Christian survivor of the Nazi Holocaust, she and her family harbored Jews. When they were found out, they were put into a concentration camp. Corey Ten Boone's sister died in the camp. Her father died as a result of being in the camp. She lived and she went on to minister to former concentration camp victims and soldiers, by the way, and guards. So Corey Ten Boone's about eight years old. She's on a train ride with her dad. They're off to the big city. He's a watch repairman. He's going to get a big old case of watch parts for his business. They go off to the big city. He loads up. They're on the train ride back. And Corey Ten Boone said, Father, what is sex sin? It's an English translation. She'd heard it in church. People who had committed sex sin. Her father didn't answer her, didn't even look at her. She wasn't sure if she had said something wrong. She was just curious. So it was unusual for my father just to ignore me. Well, finally, the, the train arrived back at home. He takes down the suitcase filled with heavy watch parts. He sets it on the aisle, and he said, Corey, I want you to pick up the suitcase for me. She's eight years old. She can't budget. She said, Father's too heavy for me. He goes, so is the answer to the question that you just gave a few minutes ago. You are not ready for the answer. It would be too heavy for you to carry. So for right now, you need to trust me to carry that. Listen, I know everyone is talking about gender and sex and sexual orientation in our culture. 
let us be careful not to put too much on our children because it will crush them. There's so much that they are not. Now, we're, we who think we're grown up, we can barely handle it. What do you think it's going to feel like for kids? But think about this in terms of the goodness of the Father. God, help me understand. Well, maybe if you understood, it would crush you. And so actually, you not being up to speed is God's grace to protect you. Just trust me anyway. Trust me when you don't understand me. It's a good father. Loves us in our weakness. Provides for our needs. Teaches us in our ignorance. And corrects us when we go astray. Man, that last part, that's a tough one. But that's what good dads do. And that's what our God does with us. He'll do it as we read the Scripture. He corrects us. I try to bring my beliefs and my understanding of the world and God in line with this, not with what I read on the Internet somewhere. God often corrects me when I'm in prayer as I expose. If you ever read the Psalms, you notice how the psalmist is often breathing death on their enemies. I don't think that's a great way to pray, but I think that's the way we should pray if that's what you really feel because we put that in the presence of God and then we go, I should be better than that. And God corrects us through prayer. God corrects us most through other people. Having a community of people around us to help guide us, God will often speak through other people. Uh, so when I was teaching my kids to drive, uh, I took them out to 51st and Memorial, the Memorial Park Cemetery right there. It's a great place to teach children how to drive because everyone there is already dead. <laughs> Although we nearly hit a tombstone and a bridge once. Other than that, it's just fine. What could go wrong? But there's one part of driving instruction they hated, and if you've been to the Memorial Park Chapel, they have this little, this little pull-through where a hearse can pull up, get the casket, and pull out, and it's this very narrow passageway, and I called it threading the needle. And before we left the cemetery, every time, I said, okay, kids, let's go thread the needle. They would go, no, I don't want to. I said, but you need to. You need to. And boy, we dodged a bullet there a couple of times. But you need to understand the different perspectives of what something looks like on your left and what's, what's on the right and to stay just in that sweet spot in the middle. Listen, we have a world that's swinging left to right all over the place. God is going to keep us in the middle. And almost daily, we're going to have to learn how to thread the needle. We need to listen to him more than we speak. We need to trust him more than what we understand. And we need to love him more than we love our own selves. So this is what a father does. Now I want to get to the so what question. Jesus called God Father. We know why, the authority and the intimacy. He invited us that what he experienced by nature, we could be by grace and all the attributes of a good father. Now, now here's the so what. Let me give three applications. We are to relate to God personally. We are to relate to God personally. We are re to relate to God personally. And some of you just breathed a sigh of relief Glad that I'm not going to make three points because you're ready to go. It's really just going to be one. Am I telling you the truth? Yeah. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you could go all afternoon. That child could not. <laughs> we are called to relate to God personally. Why can we call God Father? Because He wants that relationship with you. Uh, I appreciate Michael Lale contacted him earlier this week and asked his permission to read an email from Diane. 
Uh, Diane went home to be with the Lord several years ago, and I was just going through some old sermon files, and I came across this note dated September 11th, 2003. It was 20 years ago. Here's what Diane wrote. I found out in 1997 at the age of 45 that my twin sister and I were adopted. I had no clue. What a shock. When I was able to talk to my mom about it, I asked her why she didn't tell us, and she said, as far as I was concerned, you were ours. My mom could not have children. She was the delivery room nurse when we were born. The birth mother had four children already and really couldn't take care of them, let alone two more kids. So my mom called my dad and said that she wanted us. What a beautiful picture of our Lord. Before we knew we needed a Savior, God provided. Before my sister and I knew we needed help, God had provided. Provider is one of my favorite names for God. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you have a God who is inviting you to be his child, a son and a daughter, and you have a father who Jesus was by nature. We can be adopted and we can become by his grace. Before I give kind of the closing story here, I want to double back. I know a lot of people in this room have had questionable and even bad fathers. That absence that you have felt your whole life is actually proof that it's a relationship that we most need. I don't know what it is, but if we seem to have lacked a father figure we, we lack something that we carry with us our whole life. What that does, if you had a bad father, it reveals that cavernous need that we have for a father. And listen, no excusing anything that's happened in the past. But God, as your father, wants to be the defining relationship of your life. And perhaps the redefining relationship of your life. One more story. And I've saved this for last because this is my favorite little account. This is written by David Redding. And he tells about his dog, Teddy, that he had growing up. And he tells a story about how he came to, to get Teddy. Now, I know I'm telling a dog story at the end, but just trust me, it's better than a cat story. Because <laughs> there ain't no good cat stories. <laughs> so I had Teddy, who was a big black Scottish shepherd. Teddy was my dog, and he would do anything for me. He waited for me to come home from school. He slept beside me, and when I whistled, he always ran to me, even if he was eating. And when I went away to war, I didn't know how to leave him. How do you explain to your dog, how do you explain to someone who loves you that you're leaving home and you won't be chasing woodchucks with him tomorrow like always? So coming home from my first leave from the Navy was something that I can scarcely describe. The last bus stop was 14 miles away from the farm, so I got off there, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, so I started to walk the rest of the way home. It was 2 or 3 in the morning before I was within a half mile of the house. It was pitch dark, but I knew every step of the way. Suddenly, Teddy heard me and began his warning bark. 
Then I whistled only once. The barking stopped. There was a yelp of recognition, and I knew that a big black form was hurtling toward me in the darkness. Almost instantly, he was in my arms. What comes home to me now is the eloquence with which that unforgettable memory speaks to me about God. If my dog, without explanation, would love me and take me back after all that time, wouldn't my God? If my dog, without explanation, would love me and take me back, wouldn't my God? I don't know how far away from God that you have wandered. I don't know how long you've been gone. I don't know how dark it is for you today. But he is hurtling toward you in the darkness. Imagine that prodigal father, the prodigal son returning to the father. He is running toward you. And Jesus Christ invites who he was by nature for you to be by God's grace. Forgiven. Restored made whole, made who you are meant to be, a son or a daughter of the living God. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Stand with me and let's pray together. Just that one word speaks so powerfully. God, you are majestic, you are mysterious, But over all of that, you have revealed yourself as Father. And so for those in here today who need to give a prayer of gratitude for their earthly father, thank you. For those who need to still work on forgiveness, help us. But help not one of us leave here without knowing that there is a heavenly Father who is good and holy and trustworthy, that you love us in our weakness, that you provide for our needs, that you will teach us when we are lost, and you will always correct us when we need it. God, thank you for your great love for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would we take a few moments and just worship God as our Father? Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.